Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Uncle... You wish the hell you was. You wish the hell you was. Come on. I'm Jason Whitlock. Happy Tuesday to you. We have a fantastic show planned for you. Look at God. Larry Legend, Larry Elder, who's running for governor in California, the the Los Angeles radio host, will join us in the program. We'll We'll talk to him about the attempts to stop his candidacy to replace Gavin Newsom. Also, my new favorite rapper, Gospel rapper, Christian rapper, Bizzle. It's gonna join us. There you go. Let's get it popping with Bizzle. Uh, but before we do any of that, I gotta start a fire, and we'll have Greg Couch come on after I start this fire. But let me get to it. The left wing obsession with placing itself on the right side of a fraudulent history, corporate media plans to write, reached a historic zenith yesterday. At least Sports Illustrated thinks so. The formerly iconic sports magazine trumpeted it its 2021 swimsuit edition with bold proclamations about its history-making trifecta of cover models. Mm. Tennis star Naomi Osaka is the first Haitian and Japanese cover model. Megan Thee Stallion is the first rapper and uncastrated male horse on the cover. You're going to hell. And Lena Bloom, well, <laughs> she's the goat of goats. Bloom is the first transgender cover model. But that's not all. Osaka, the stallion, and Bloom. They're the first trio of black people to grace the cover of Sports Illustrated's swimsuit edition. Okay. Yesterday, the blue check mark Twitter and Legacy Media partied like it was 2099 and the Great Reset was celebrating its 70th birthday. Cosmopolitan Magazine tweeted with glee, Megan Thee Stallion makes history as the first rapper ever to pose for a Sports Illustrated swimsuit cover. Woo, hallelujah. There you go with that voice. Page Six tweeted about Bloom and Osaka, Entertainment Weekly, People Magazine, The Today Show, all through Twitter confetti high in the air. Hallelujah. Progress. Hallelujah. This is history. Yes, sir. This yes, is sir. a transformational Come on now. moment in American culture. Yes, sir. This is Neil Armstrong taking one giant step. For mankind, I'm sorry. Mankind. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I got good. I'm sorry. The swimsuit edition reminds me of other great moments in black history. My parents, they can remember exactly where they were in 1947 when Jackie Robinson broke baseball's color barrier. My grandparents fondly remembered when Jesse Owens took four gold medals at the Berlin Olympics. Has anyone forgotten that day in 1974 when Hank Aaron smashed home run number 715 and surpassed Babe Ruth? Now, who will forget this moment when desperate editors of a failing magazine resorted to a publicity stunt exploiting racial tension and gender dysphoria? Let me quote from Lena Bloom. This moment heals a lot of pain in the world. We observe this moment, we deserve this moment. We have waited millions of years to show up as survivors and be seen as full humans filled with wonder. I get Bloom's joy. Gender dysphoria is a serious issue. 
I'm not going to begrudge Bloom and other transgenders their sense of normalcy. But Uncle Jimmy, I got a problem. My problem is with the packaging of gender dysphoria with the black race. Sports Illustrated made intentional, calculated choices. They injected race into the swimsuit occasion. These choices are subjective. No one earns the swimsuit cover. It's given. It's not an accomplishment. It's affirmative action. And they chose three black women intentionally. There was a time when magazines such as Sports Illustrated gained attention celebrating the actual history-making accomplishments of all athletes. Now legacy public print publications and corporate media outlets troll the public for relevance and cast their virtue signals as historic moments. Why wouldn't they? They plan to write the history your grandchildren and great-grandchildren will read. In the world that corporate media are plotting, immoral pornographic rappers will be portrayed as thought leaders and public intellectuals. Biological men with balls, with the balls, to surgically transition to women will be described as heroes in every bit as courageous as the soldiers who stormed Normandy. In the aftermath of the Great Reset, the Christian values that led this country down the path to freedom and greatness will be characterized as evil. My problem is the puppet masters are using race and racism as the Trojan horses to socially engineer America into a new reality. No one made history with the SI covers. The Swim to Suit edition is the further rewriting of history. It's another companion to the New York Times 1619 project. Let's call it what it is. 362436 project written by the Alphabet Mafia. Now that's a fire! That's a fire. I'm impressed. Jim, I'm pissed off. I, I'm just the way they've packaged this up, and again, this is my problem with the whole alphabet gang. They're piggybacking, they're using blackness as their sledgehammer to promote their agenda. I don't have a particular problem with their agenda. I get it, blah, blah, blah. But it's not my agenda. And so the using of black people and the black race and the packaging of the LGBT issue as a black issue, and that's what this is about. This is why they chose three black women for the cover. And then again, because they could have chosen a white transgender woman if they didn't want to make this about blackness. But they did that intentionally. And I'm just sorry, it's, it's frustrating, off-putting. Uh, again, they have every right to fight for what they want. That's a separate issue than black people. And I have different, coming from a Christian point of view, a biblical point of view, I have a different opinion on the LGBT issue, and I don't see why my skin color is being wrapped into their argument. Frustrates me. Jason, how did this become our thing? You know, 
suddenly the, this is our thing. You know, suddenly now, I mean, I have, I've never seen so many gay men, black men talking about this is our thing. How did this become our thing? You know, I mean, you understand what I'm saying? It's a strategy, Jim. Okay, but I'll go one step further. Have you? I guess I'm the only one that noticed. You know, remember back in the day, the only movies you ever saw, devil movies, monster movies, was white movies. Now, every time I see a monster movie, a devil movie, it's black people. It, suddenly now the monster movies is ours. Candyman's getting ready to come out. You know, remember the, the, the old devil movies and all of that. You know, it, it, all of this stuff that was bad then, it was bad then, but now it's ours. You know, I mean, well, what's, how did that happen? It's a strategy that's working. By? By the elites. Okay. Who want to transition America into a communist Marxist type country. Again, what you, this is all, and particularly as it relates to black people, but then also now they've wrapped in the LGBT community. And the argument is being put together that America, the way it was founded and operated for 250 years, has been a total failure and totally unfair to black people. And now they're wrapping in and also to gay people. There are kernels of truth in the argument. Kernels. It's not the full truth. There was a time when America uh, treated black people horrifically. Okay. America's constitutional and Declaration of Independence Foundation and America's Christian values corrected America's mistreatment of black people. Ended slavery, ended Jim Crow, gave us our full... It was a long, hard, vicious battle. But freedom actually did get delivered because our Constitution, Declaration of Independence, and the system that the founders put in place demanded that freedom get delivered. The LGBT community. There was a time when they were pariahs in this society. No, no question about it. I, I can remember as a child, if a boy had feminine tendencies, he was mistreated in school and ostracized. I got, that's changed. That's no longer the case. We, we've actually moved to a, a point where, uh, hell, you're almost, it's almost preferable to be gay. You have more rights. To some degree. And again, some of that may, there may be a gay person listening like, Jason, that's crazy. Cause, and maybe I am crazy for saying preferable. Uh, but, but we are bending over and trying to correct the wrongs of how the LGBT community was, was, was treated. And again, it's our Christian values and fairness that are forcing us to correct those wrongs. The argument that's being made is like, no, those Christian values, your religious values, everything this country was founded on is why we have so much oppression. And the end game is to argue that Declaration of Independence, that Constitution, 
your founding principles, a total failure. We must rewrite everything and come up with a new constitution and a new way of operating here in America. That's the end game. And I keep go it keeps going back to the same thing I keep saying is the elites prefer China's system of governance over ours. They like the way the Chinese Communist Party runs China. The elites prefer communism. You can't have globalism and the new world order and the great reset without communism. That's how they want to operate. And communism is the enemy of religious faith, the enemy of freedom. It's the best friend of oppression. Mm. And but people are being fooled and people are being like, I, I can't make it. So I don't want to know. I want a system that puts it in place where I don't have to make it. I don't have to get up off my ass and do anything. And, and anybody that does make it, they made it because of privilege or because somebody gave them something. And, and I sit there and look at, ain't, ain't nobody gave me shit. My, <laughs> my father, nothing. My father didn't graduate from high school. Huh? My, my father. You had a father? Go ahead. My, my mother was a factory worker. Mm -hmm. nobody, nobody gave us anything. We went out and took it and got it. And I look at my brother, my stepsister, my sister, went out and got it in, in this allegedly racist country. And... <laughs> hey, man, my daddy told me, yeah. boy, the best way to, to, to get off your ass is to get on your feet, Okay. You know, we sitting up here talking about this whole thing about uh, the, the Sports Illustrated and, and, and the Olympics. Man, this ain't nothing new. This thing started way back there, like you said in your article, with Lance Armstrong. Started off with him. <laughs> the, the, the first half unit. Then, <laughs> the, the, then you went to Chris Jenner. Okay? Now, look, who do we – well, now, can say it with me, class. Thank you, Mr. Obama. Thank you very much. This is why we right here today. You're blaming Obama. Which, Thank you very much, Mr. Obama. We're going to walk Greg Couch. We're going to go out to Chicago and walk him into a hornet's nest. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to walk him into it. Greg is one of the premier tennis writers in the country. And so we'll get his take on Naomi Osaka first. She was on this cover. She's allegedly had all these... Oh, wait a minute. She's buildings. black on this album cover, right? She's <laughs> yeah. black this time. Then okay. we're going to transition to Greg's written a column about Chris Paul in the NBA Finals game six tonight. Chris Paul may get eliminated, but Greg, before... I don't want to walk you into this hornet's nest. I'm starting to like Greg. Uh, you are? Greg's starting to become my dude, man, for real. Because <laughs> Greg, don't, Greg don't take no stuff off of you. I, Greg low-key fights back. I like Greg. So, Greg, I want to ask you first and foremost, Naomi Osaka on the cover of the swimsuit issue. I guess her therapist uh, cleared this, and this does not cause her mental stress uh, posing in a bikini on the cover of Sports Illustrated. It was all white well, people in the audience. <laughs> <laughs> well, she says that, you know, she did this last year, so I don't really know exactly when her mental issues started with this, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, she's done all sorts of magazine covers since she said she's not going to she's going to sort of be quiet and hide from people and, and, and go off on her own. 
because the, the pressure of being in the public eye is too much. And then she's just constantly in the public eye. So it's, it's a little hard to swallow. I mean, it's, it's a very much of a corporate corporate thing, you know, or, and now she's got this documentary, quote, documentary. You can't have a documentary if you and your corporate backers are the ones who have, uh, you know, editorial control over it. So, yeah, I mean, she's she may have uh, uh, mental health issues and she may not. I don't know. But this that's not what she's really complaining about. She's complaining about wanting to have control, complete control of her own messaging. So it's a little tough to, to accept this. Greg, let me ask you this before I make a comment that gets me into trouble. How old is Naomi Osaka, and can I talk about her uh, cover girl appearance? Is she, is she old enough for me to comment on that? She's old enough. I, I can't, 22, right. 23, So I'm not let sure. me say, all right, well, let me Here say we this then. Here we go. I thought it was solid. I thought it was solid, the pictures, but she's not Anna Kornikova. And I know that's going to get me in a lot of trouble. Uh, she don't have herpes? <laughs> How, and according to, as far as I know, doesn't have... Would you stop that? <laughs> I'm sure I'm going to get in a lot of trouble. Look at Jason. He prefers that Russian white woman over... That, that, Japanese, that, Haitian... That, that, yeah, but... Whatever. I did, look, I thought Naomi looked pretty good, but... Not Kornikova. Um, or what's, uh, what's the other woman's name from Russia? Sharapova? Is that the other? Who does Serena Sharapova. compete with? Uh, Maria yeah, Sharapova. Sharapova. Yeah. And so, Greg, yeah, Maria Sharapova. Greg, I know you're married and maybe you can't comment on this, but any, you know, if you had to rank them, because uh, wasn't Kornikova in the swimsuit edition at some point? I'm sure she was. Uh, can you comment on this or, or, or is Lisa going to beat you up? Uh, Probably both. I'll comment on it and she'll beat me up. But uh, <laughs> uh, there was another player named, a Serbian player named Anna Ivanovic. She's number one and two and three. And then oh. uh, uh, <laughs> if, if that's what we're talking about here, you know, I, you know, probably yeah. the, the thing about Sharapova, it's kind of interesting. Serena used to hate Sharapova because Sharapova was getting more endorsement dollars than Serena and was just treated, you know, because she looked like a Barbie doll and that was very frustrating to Serena. And, you know, Serena's beautiful in, mm -hmm. in, a, in, in, a, in a different way and she sort of changed the way people look at beauty, I think, for, for women. In a jailhouse way. That's the, oh gosh, that's one thing I'll give credit, well, <laughs> sort of credit to the SI cover that you're, you're ragging on here because the... Uh, you know, I mean, you want art to sort of reflect society and also to criticize it at the same time. And pop culture can do the same thing. And so when you're looking at Megan Thee Stallion, who doesn't have necessarily the same body image as, as uh, you know, your typical supermodel, you're going to find that there are women out there or transgenders out there who, who are, are glad to see someone celebrated, someone who looks like them, or who is like them. So I, I do think there's value in some of this swimsuit cover stuff, but the problem I have is what you had. It's just you know how did they mix black race into that? It's just a, it's just to sell magazines. Somehow they decided this is the time for that, uh, and so that's why they did it. Jason, he just said Megan The Stallion looks like a cross gender. No, he didn't. He said Megan The Stallion looked good because that that would be my comment. That's the best I've seen Megan The Stallion look. Okay, well. I agree. You disagree with that? 
I don't, she looked real strong on there. Okay, whatever. I, she, she got real strong features. <laughs> I'm tired. Look, man, I like to. Never mind. Come on, man. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Greg. Go ahead, man. All right, let's switch up before we all get in trouble and we all get canceled. I was saying she looked great. Before we I'm all get canceled. canceled. When did we got to the era that we want our girls to have biceps and triceps bigger than us? Since when? Megan the Stallion does not have I like that. my woman to have breasts bigger than me. I don't want... <laughs> Come on, man. That's hard for me, Jim. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, hey, you're down from a double D last year. Come on, man. Come on, man. So you're being too hard that's, on you. That's why I buy implants for the women I date. <laughs> <laughs> Where the hell they at, then, all the money you done spent? Just, just the even things. We do have company here. You do realize we got company. Go ahead, Greg. I'm sorry, man. Let's talk about the NBA Finals. Greg has written a column for the Blaze and for Fearless that argues basically kind of there's no pressure on Chris Paul. There's actual pressure, but he can't lose tonight. Because even if they lose tonight in Game 6 and lose the title, Greg's offering up the opinion that I kind of agree with. Chris Paul's probably headed to Los Angeles. Finally, the Lakers and we'll team up with LeBron James and win the title next year. Uh, but, but you're also, Greg, you're not giving up on Chris Paul in this series, even though they face elimination down 3-2 after taking a 2-0 lead. Why, why do you think Chris Paul and the Suns still have a chance? So we're done talking about Ana Ivanovich, is that right? <laughs> yes, we are. Uh, yeah. I just think that everyone was ready to anoint uh, Chris Paul, and now they're ready to write him off. It's like a sad story. He's already blown it. He doesn't win again. But this is the moment when you decide whether you're a champion or not. I mean, he struggled in games four and five. Yeah, four and five. And, uh, uh, you know, I mean, if you really believe he's one of the great point guards, and I do believe that, I think he's certainly one of the top ten, and you really believe he is a championship-quality player who should have won championships along the way, except for circumstances, then there's no reason to think he can't do it now when he's down three games to two in the NBA Finals. This is when he should he should rise. This is when he should he should you know reach for his greatest. This is where the champions make it. So I'm I'm still optimistic as far as if if I want him to win. I'm uh, and I and I kind of do just because I I sort of like others. I do think he had other opportunities if they would have let that trade go through to the Lakers years ago, and he could have played with Kobe all those years. He'd have won multiple championships. But if you're rooting for him at all, there's no reason to think he's already lost. This is this is the moment when champions rise. So let's see if he can do it. This is exciting. This is what sports is about right here, tonight. I totally agree. I've compared Chris Paul to Isaiah Thomas, the modern-day Isaiah Thomas. I expect Chris Paul to play very well tonight, and I expect them to force a game seven. I I think without question this series is going seven. Greg, I asked you, I compiled my list of the top ten point guards, uh, and I want to see compared to your list of the top ten point guards. And I want to ask you, if Chris Paul were to come back and win this series, how that would adjust your rankings of Chris Paul and the top 10. And so for, I, I think they, they're going to put our top 10s up side by side. I know I have Magic Johnson number one, followed by my friend Isaiah Thomas. You're dumb. Uh, Steph Curry number three. Oh, God. Uh, Oscar Robertson four. Uh, is that Steve Nash I have at five? 
Yes. Yeah, Steve Nash at number five. I'm straining my eyes to look at this. John Stockton, six. Jason Kidd, seven. Bob Cousy, eight. Tony Parker, nine. What? And then Chris Paul barely creeps into my top ten at number ten. Greg, where we disagree. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I thought you were waiting for me to. I mean, I think, yeah, I've got Chris Paul number seven, and uh, I'm looking at your list here, 10. So I've got him higher than you do already. And I think if he wins a championship, you can see him pass, you know, catching. Well, I mean, John Stock, boy, I don't know. He's pretty high on my list already. I, I kept fidgeting with that list that, you know, this morning when I was trying to give it to your, to your people there. And, uh, you know, I had Jason Kidd up higher, then down lower and up higher, but he just couldn't shoot well enough. So I, I think... I mean, I think Chris Paul could still work his way up to, like, number four or so if he could win this thing and then win next year with LeBron, maybe. Highest I can see him going is number seven behind John Stockton. I think you're crazy. You do know Steve Nash won two MVPs, correct? And and you got him at number nine. Steve Nash won two MVPs, and it's hard to win two MVPs. Shaq and Kobe only have one each. I'm not saying Steve Nash is better than them. I'm just saying it's hard to win MVPs. The guy's got two of them. Uh, so that's my biggest disagreement. You have I- Allen Iverson at number 10. I don't consider Allen Iverson a point guard. If I did, he'd be higher on my list than number 10. He yeah. took a trash team all the way to the NBA Finals. One yeah. of the great scores. But... As well, far as I can I, see, Chris Paul going. Go ahead. If I were to put Allen Iverson from the list, I'd put Gary Payton on there. I had a hard time not putting him on the list. There you go. I'm not a big fan of the glove. It's okay. Loud mouth. It's a hell of a defensive player, but a loud mouth that I'm, I'm not, not a big, big fan, fan of Bob Cousy either, but we're all right. I was a more. Did you see Bob Cousy play? I'm just saying, the man won a bunch of titles. I seen. I, I snuck in and seen Bob Cousy when black folks wasn't allowed to watch him play basketball. <laughs> All right, Greg, about, we're gonna let you go. Who wins tonight? Wait, what about Curly Neal? I thought about putting him on the list too. I, Curly Neal would have been a nice. good choice. Curly had them. Never lost. He only got only point guard to ever retire with an undefeated record. That's true. That's true. So I mean, how can you beat that? Truly, he can no NBA him. titles, but he never lost a game. So he's like John Stockton. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Right. He can basically break, dance, and dribble at the same time. <laughs> God, <laughs> man, that was racist, man. Hey, uh, Greg, uh, give us a prediction on who wins tonight. I think Chris Paul steps up, has a big game, and it's not just the Booker show for, for Phoenix. And so uh, Phoenix wins this thing and takes it back to game seven. Thank you, Greg. All right, that's Greg Couch from – who wins tonight, Uncle Joe? Are you even watching the NBA playoffs? Man, I'm upset at you, man. You should what? sit up there and made that comment talking about that was racist. It was a comment joke. you made yesterday was racist. What comment did I make yesterday? The comment you made yesterday talking about his wife don't think he's black. <laughs> that was a racist comment. What the hell are you trying to say? A white man can't be hung like a runaway slave? <laughs> yeah? I wasn't. My comment had nothing to do with that. Okay, I'm just had, saying. Had to do with his credit score. His credit score was too high to be black. <laughs> And you wonder why you're going to hell. (laughs) Let me tell you about 
Built Bar. <laughs> Every morning, I wake up with morning wood and hunger. <laughs> and right before I write my column, <laughs> I reach for a Built Bar. And morning breath. <laughs> when I come into the office, I usually see Uncle Jimmy or Corey hanging out and eating snacks. I'm trying to control myself, and these guys here in the office are always tempting me. But with our newest sponsor and Built Bars, that temptation is fading away fast. I'm telling you, these that's the truth. Now that's the truth. Great Truthfully. and awesome for me. A snack I can eat here in the office. You've heard me talk about their grasshopper cookie before, but they have a lot of different looking like flavors, a damn grasshopper. Like cherries, cookies, and Ooh. cream, coconut, double chocolate. And my personal favorite. The orange is fire. The orange is fire, bro. Absolute fire. I Seriously. Love All right. These are some of the best protein bars I've personally tasted and help keep me going during the day. They don't have an aftertaste. Built.com. That's B-U-I-L-T.com. And use promo code FEARLESS to save 15% off your first order. Use promo code FEARLESS for 15% off Built.com. Tastes like candy. Welcome back to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock. All right, we're going to roll out to California, Uncle Jimmy. Yes, sir. Yes, and sir. bring in, listen, I'm from Indianapolis and from Indiana. And Larry Legend in Indiana means Larry Bird. Right, right. Uh, but in California, Larry Legend actually means Larry Elder. Okay. The great Larry Elder, one of the great radio hosting in in California, one of the great public intellectuals across America, and now a candidate, we believe, we hope, for the governorship of the state of California. Larry, welcome to Fearless, and let's get right to it. What the hell's going on? Are they going to let you run for governor in California? They most certainly are. We're in court right now. Uh, as you know, my name was not on the ballot, uh, even though we turned in 300 pages of all the stuff they wanted, dotted all the I's, crossed all the T's, and all of a sudden they claim that I redacted something that shouldn't have been redacted or didn't redact something that should have been redacted. No election lawyer I've talked, including, of course, those on my team, believe that this is going to be sufficient to keep me off the ballot. But we're in court. We filed a writ last night. And since then, another citizen has also filed a complaint claiming that my failure to be on on the ballot is depriving her of the right to vote for whom she wants uh, to run in this recall election to recall Governor Gavin Newsom. Jason, excuse me, the law in question was passed in order to make sure that Donald Trump turned over his tax returns before somebody stole them and made them public. On the, to get on, sorry about that. To get uh -oh. on the ballot uh, here in California, uh, and the uh, law was challenged, went all the way up to the U.S. Uh, to the California Supreme Court, and these leftist judges ruled unanimously, seven nothing, that the law uh, was unconstitutional, both the California Constitution and the U.S. Constitution. But they did let it stand to gubernatorial elections. It isn't even clear, Jason, whether or not this election even applies to a recall election. So there are a whole bunch of reasons. And by the way, my having to turn over five years of tax returns doesn't apply to the incumbent governor. He doesn't have to turn over his five years of tax returns. And so there's also an equal protection argument that the law ought to apply to both of us if it's going to apply to anybody. So for a bunch of reasons, uh, come Wednesday when we have our court hearing, I believe I'm going to be on the certified ballot. It's not a problem. And people have asked me, Jason, do you think it's race? 
And I said, please, it's not race, it's face, as in Larry Elder's face. I'm the guy that they're most afraid of. I'm the guy that can talk to blacks uh, and to Hispanics and tell them what's going on. There are se the 75 percent of black kids in California, Jason, cannot read at state levels of proficiency. Let me repeat that. 75 percent of black kids cannot read at state levels of proficiency. I went to Crenshaw High School, school in the hood. You saw the movie uh, Boys in the Hood. That's my high school. 2% of students at my former high school are math proficient. And it's a Crip school. I know that because Ice-T chose Crenshaw High because he wanted to go to a Crip school. Now, who the hell sends their kid to a school where only 2% of kids are math proficient and it's a Crip school if they have an option out? One of the many, many things I'm going to push for when I become governor is school choice. The teachers union adamantly opposed to it because they don't get automatic junior, uh, teacher dues when they do that. Uh, and Gavin Newsom, while shutting down this state in the most severe way of any of the 50 governors, still had his own kids enjoying in-person private education while his own private winery was exempted from the very mandates that he violated. So for all these reasons, 2.2 million Californians went to sign the petition, including a bunch of Democrats and a bunch of independents who voted for him just two years earlier and want this man out. And that's what I intend to do. And I believe they are scared to death. I have more name recognition than any of these candidates, with the exception of Caitlyn Jenner. I've been on uh, in California radio for 27 years. I'm on in every major market from Sacramento down to San Diego. I've been writing a column since April of 1998. I'm on in the, the biggest newspaper in the Valley, the biggest newspaper in Orange County. I've never been on in the Los Angeles Times in a thousand articles I've written over the course of some 25 years. They've never published a single one of them. I've written a half a dozen books. Two of them were New York Times bestsellers. Two of them were LA Times bestsellers, Jason, and they've never reviewed any of my books. I did a wonderful documentary that came out Juneteenth last year called Uncle Tom. It made more money than the five best documentaries nominated for the Oscar last year combined, had a higher IMDb rating than any of them, got no love from the Los Angeles Times. So I'm not going to get a whole lot of love from the left-wing media, but from normal people, uh, people are opening up their eyes and they're seeing the connection between the left-wing people that they voted for and the rising crime and the rising homelessness and the crappy quality of K-12 public schools. Uh, and for the first time in California's history, there's been a net migration of people out of the state because they can't get that starter home. One more thing, and then I'll shut up and let you say something. My father <laughs> came to California in 1945. He was a World War II veteran uh, and uh, came out here uh, and, and worked two full-time jobs cleaning toilets, Jason. Believe it or not, with that kind of income, saved up enough money to get a down payment to buy a house that is now worth $600,000 in South Central Los Angeles. Good for us because it's still in the family, but horrible for anybody else trying to duplicate what my eighth grade dropout dad did. If that person worked three jobs, he couldn't come up with a DP to buy a house because of the environmental rules and regulations that essentially have stopped any kind of construction in this state for decades. That's why the cost of living is so high. That's why people cannot buy a house. The average house in California costs 150% more than the average price of a home uh, in America. And according to an expert that I use often on my radio show, his name is Leo Hanian, a brilliant uh, economist with UCLA, specializes in real estate. He says because of the environmental rules, the average price of a home in California literally costs 50% more than it otherwise would, but for these ridiculous environmental rules that the environmentalists who control Sacramento have been cramming down the throats of the average Californian. And I'm going to reverse that, and they know damn well I can do something about it, which is why, in my opinion, they're playing these games about keep, keeping me off the ballot. But it's not going to work.
And Uncle Jimmy, you just saw why they call him Larry Legend and why I call him the great Larry Elder. Okay. The man can filibuster with the best of them, and it's all good content. That's why he's been such a successful radio host. Larry, let me ask you this question, though. You said that you don't think race plays a part in what them trying to keep you off the ballot. I know I'm from afar here in Nashville, but I lived in California for 10 years in Los Angeles. I think race plays a role in the sense the left knows they can't accuse you of being racist. And and so when you start suggesting policies and pushing back against them, they can't go to the secret weapon they use against every other conservative. Well, you're racist. That's why I I think that plays a role in why they fear you. You're from South Central Los Angeles. You're native born. They right. can't say, oh, this is some carpetbagger or this is some racist. I think race plays a little bit of the role in why they may fear you in this race. I, I accept that analysis. I think, I think you're right. By the way, the state, uh, the secretary of state, who, by the way, had the power to correct whatever little inaccuracy or whatever it was uh, that kept me off the ballot. She had the power to correct that. She happened to be a black female. But, Jason, you are absolutely right. Here's what they fear. Uh, I'm taking on the teachers union. As I mentioned, the teachers union is the number one contributor to Gavin Newsom's campaign. Uh, They wanted the schools shut down, even though the teachers were being paid uh, 100 percent of their salary. Black and brown parents were yelling and screaming, please reopen the schools. Two thirds of black parents say, according to a recent poll, they do not want to send their kids back to LAUSD. Now, there are 300 public school teachers in the state of California. It is estimated that between five and seven percent of them are incompetent. That means a minimum of 15,000 of them are incompetent. When I become governor, I'm going to enact, uh, sign a declaration that this is an educational emergency and I'm going to fire them in one fell swoop. Let's make an analogy. There are 20,000 cops LAPD. Suppose five percent of them were like Derek Chauvin. I'm not trying to talk about how the trial came out, but there were like 15 to 18 complaints against Derek Chauvin before uh, whatever he did to George Floyd. Uh, No other person could survive 15 complaints in the private sector. They would be fired. In any given year, out of the 300,000 teachers, guess how many are fired? 2.2, I kid you not. And the worst ones end up in in the ghetto schools, in the inner city schools, where the parents are less likely to complain. So these black parents say the worst teachers end up in our school system, and and we have had it. And I'm going to say something about that, and I'm going to ask them, why are you pulling the lever for the Democratic Party when they send leaders who are in bed with the teachers union, and they don't give you what you want? The polls show the majority of black and brown parents living in in, in, in in the inner city recognize how bad these schools are, and when I connect the dots, they're going to open up their eyes, and they're going to very quietly go in there and privately pull that lever for Larry Elder. You don't have to tell your friends if you're an independent. You don't have to tell your friends that you're a Democrat. But, you're, but you've got to be sick and tired of this. You've got to be sick and tired of the quality of schools, the rising crime, this ridiculous homelessness, and the outrageous cost of living. And there's a direct connection between that uh, and policies pushed by this governor and pushed by the left-wing legislature uh, for the last 20 or 30 years. Two-thirds of the legislature, the lower house, the assembly, Democrats, two-thirds, the upper house, uh, our Senate. So the 
Republicans don't even need to show up to work, uh, and these Democrats can pass ridiculous left-wing policies that hurt the very black and brown people that they claim that they care about. I'm going to make that case better than anybody else for all the reasons you mentioned, uh, Jason. I'm from the, I'm from uh, L.A., born here. Uh, I, I went to the hood. I went to public schools. I know what's going on, and they know it, and that's why they're scared. So, yes, to that degree, I believe race does play a factor. Larry... I lived in L.A. for 10 years, from 2010 to August of 2020. Like a lot of people, I fled California. I, I just got tired of it. I got tired of the way Gavin Newsom ran the state. Uh, the taxes are, are astronomical. Uh, the culture there, not friendly to people that think like me, that come from a church background, a sports background. Right a conservative point of view. And, and my point of view isn't political. It's just like, this is the way I was raised in the church. This is what right. football and athletics taught me. I'm going right. to apply these things to my life and have success. I don't feel like California is comforting or welcoming to people that like me. And a lot of other, Joe Rogan, the great podcaster, he fled California, right. moved to Texas. I'm surprised you haven't escaped California why are you so committed to your home state? Why do you believe it can be saved? Well, I want to do something about it. And, and the dirty little secret is, Jason, if you've been born here and you were lucky enough to come up with the DP and buy a house in the 80s, you're sitting pretty because your house is appreciated, appreciated, appreciated. I can't believe that this kid from the inner city whose father's cleaned toilets, two full-time jobs, uh, is living in a house that, that's got five bedrooms. And my house is appreciating every single year without my doing anything. Wonderful for me, impossible for somebody else very young to do exactly what I did. I was speaking to a black newspaper up in Sacramento the other day, and I could tell by their body language when they first met me, they weren't feeling me. And I said to them, aren't you tired? Aren't you tired of these rich people on the West Side, uh, the ones who file the, belong to the ACLU and file the gang injunctions that urban parents want, and the ones who belong to the Sierra Club and to Ducks Unlimited and filing lawsuits to stop the construction of housing that cost housing to be so, so much higher? Aren't you tired of all of this? I said, do you know anybody black who belongs to Ducks Unlimited? These are the people that are filing lawsuits, making your life more and more miserable while they're behind gated walls with protective security, belonging to the ACLU and, this, and to the Sierra Club. Aren't you sick of it? Aren't you sick of the stranglehold that the teachers union have over schools and, and to the point where they don't even put their own kids in it? The average public school teacher, Jason, with school age kids here at LAUSD, twice as likely to have their own kids in private school. There was a study about uh, called Fordham Institute in 2004. It looked at a bunch of uh, public school teachers in places like Philadelphia, Chicago. 44% of Philadelphia public school teachers with school-age kids have their own kids in private schools, as opposed to 10% of families nationwide, 6% of families nationwide. 39% of Chicago public schools with school-age kids have their own kids in private school, again, as opposed to 10% of families nationwide, 6% of black families nationwide. That's as if, Jason, you opened up a restaurant, hung up a sign on the outside that said, come on in, just don't eat the food. Larry, let me ask you this. Walk us through the history a bit of how California was once Ronald Reagan's state and now has become Gavin Newsom's state and just a totally blue state. How did that transformation happen in California? For those you've lived the history, can you share it with us? 
It's, it's demographics, Jason, that's simple. When Ronald Reagan was running, uh, the largest minority, the largest group in California were whites. Uh, and the Democratic Party has lost the white vote ever since 1964. California, the largest minority group now is, is Hispanics. Uh, there's no majority uh, a race group right now, but Hispanics are around 40% or so of California uh, and 30% are whites and the rest are, are uh, Asian Americans uh, and blacks. And Hispanics are, uh, they, you know, they're, they're culturally conservative, they're family-oriented, church-oriented, but they pull that lever for the Democratic Party because they're convinced that the Republican Party uh, are racist, uh, they only care about the rich, they're selfish, uh, and they've been duped. Uh, and I'm capable of explaining to people exactly why uh, the Republican Party has your back and how the Democratic Party does not. I've been on radio for 30 years. And for 30 years, I've tried to get Jesse Jackson on my program. He won't come. 30 years, I've tried to get Al Sharpton. He won't come. Uh, Louis Farrakhan won't come. But one so-called black leader, a term I'm not particularly fond of, did come on my, on my program. He is Kiwese Mfume, then the president of the NAACP, former lawmaker from uh, Maryland. He's now back in, the, in Congress from Maryland. And I said to him right out of my mouth, first word verbatim, Jason, Mr. Mfume, as between the presence of white racism or the absence of black fathers, which poses a bigger threat to the black community, without missing a beat, he said the absence of black fathers. That's the problem here. You take a wand, wave it over America, remove every smidgen of racism from the hearts of white people. Do you still have 70% of black people brought into the world without a father married to the mother? Do you still have a 50% dropout rate in urban high schools? Do you still have 25% of young black men living in the inner city having a criminal records? Is the number one cause of preventable death for young black men homicide as opposed to the number one cause of preventable death for young white men accidents like car accidents? If the answer is yes, 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 and yes, I submit to you that yelling and screaming racism, which a lot of blacks and browns buy, is not the issue. The issue is those things that I've talked about and what we ought to be doing about it. And I can say that in the, in the most effective way, more than any other Republican can say in this race, and they know it. And I can change minds. I can get people to rethink their assumptions. And that's what I intend to do uh, when I'm lucky enough to get on this ballot and when I'm lucky enough to become the next governor uh, of California. Larry, final question, and I'll let you go. The issue of immigration and border security is a big topic in America. I don't think that we as African-Americans understand that the more illegal immigrants come into our country and we grant them citizenship automatically, it actually diminishes our voting power and strength. We're being displaced and our power is being displaced and our concerns are being displaced. How do we get the average black person to understand that border security and having strong immigration policies are actually in our best interest. Well, that's why I want people to go to electelder.com, electelder.com, because that's one of my issues. And by the way, the average uh, Hispanic here does not want illegal immigration either. I will remind you that Cesar Chavez, the famous union leader that started the United uh, Farm Workers, he hated illegal immigration because unskilled illegals competed for jobs that would otherwise be held by uh, Hispanics living in this country and puts downward pressure on their wages. Same thing with blacks. There's an economist named George Borjas from Harvard 
who's done more work on the impact of legal and illegal immigration probably than anybody else in the country. And he says there's no question that there's winners and losers behind illegal immigration. The biggest losers, unskilled Americans, black and brown, uh, frequently who do not have high school because many of the illegals uh, do not have much education, and they are directly competing for jobs and putting downward pressure on wages uh, of black and brown workers right here. Peter Kersenow is a longtime member of the U.S. Civil Rights Commission and a buddy of mine way back from the Cleveland days when I lived there. And he says that illegal immigration depresses the wages of inner city people to the tune of close to $2,000 every single year. So it doesn't just diminish uh, political power, it also diminishes economic power. And I'll tell you why. Uh, it's not just that uh, the Democrats want illegal because eventually if they become citizens, they become Democrat voters. They also want them for reapportionment because you count people legal and illegally here for purposes of political power. And so they don't care how many illegals are here, even if they're not citizens, as long as they're counted in the census, so it increases their power. So for a whole bunch of reasons, illegal immigration hurts Hispanics, hurts blacks, puts down with pressure on their wages, causes them to compete for jobs they would otherwise hold. And so for all those reasons, illegal immigration is a bad deal for Americans, uh, whether they're black or brown, period. Larry, thank you so much. Good luck with your lawsuit. I would move back to California and vote for you, but I'm not crazy. I like it here in Nashville. I'm staying. But <laughs> you know, good luck Jason, to you, brother. You know, Jason, real quickly, a whole bunch of people have written me and said, I was thinking about leaving until I found out you were, you were going to run. And a whole bunch of people told me, if you win, I'm coming back. So already I'm improving the economy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Larry. All right, that's Larry Legend. You guys go to youtube.com slash fearless with Jason Whitlock. Hit that subscribe and notifications button. When we come back, brah, brah, bizzle, big biz. <laughs> My new favorite rapper is going to join the program. For 17 years, it was popular when I started up. Kids wanted to be us, but now I'm watching them offer up middle fingers. When we pull up, you would think I was harming them. But we still come when they call us up, put my life on the line. Every night I'm behind this badge, and I ride through your hood to prevent the crime that's inside. Welcome back to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. That was a video. The, the policeman wasn't Bizzle, but it's a, a song by the gospel rapper Bizzle. Jim, I, I told you this and sent you this mm -hmm. about a month or two ago when uh, Delano sent me the song Poppin'. Exactly. Uh, by the rapper Bizzle. I had never heard of Bizzle mm -hmm. until I heard this song and it rocked my world. Right, right. Up and made me a Bizzle fan, maybe do a bunch of homework. Had, had you run around here making that noise. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, keep it real. Let them hear you do it. All right, let's roll out to, I think Bizzle now lives in Houston, I was told, not Los Angeles, but let's roll out to Houston and bring on the gospel rapper Bizzle. Big Biz, what the business yeah. is. <laughs> did I, did <laughs> I get that right? <laughs> Hopping, baby. What's up? Oh, I'm hey, good. Uh, are you in Houston or Los Angeles? And then I want to play a clip from Poppin' and tell you why the song moved me. 
Okay, so I'm in Houston. I was born and raised in LA, but I've been in Houston for like half my life as well. All right, I want to play a little excerpt from the song Poppin', and then I'm going to explain to you why the song hit me so hard. And then I want your explanation of the song. And if this is, if you were trying to convey what I was actually feeling, here's an excerpt from the song Poppin'. So I say what I want, dog. Yeah. Your favorite rapper don't need too afraid to be broke, dog. You lose your career pissing in folk, dog. Uh -huh. But you can call black women hoes and kill all the black men that you want, dog. And I don't care if you hate that. I could take that. I could take but that. But stop claiming you real knowing you hate that. Sad thing is how fast you could diss a black queen and turn around and walk on eggshells for a drag queen. Wow. Wow. <laughs> but... Here was the line from the chorus that got me. I never came for the smoke, but if it got to go down, let's get it popping. That summarizes everything that I feel about where we're at in a culture war here in America. Like, you know what? <laughs> I really didn't want it to be this way, but there's just a masculine energy to your music that I think maybe is missing in other gospel rap music. And I'm wondering if that masculine energy is intentional. Um, I mean, it is. I believe, you know, God uses our backgrounds. You know, I, I came up in the hood, so some of that is already there. Um, but I just believe that we're supposed to be bold. We're called to be bold. And right, um, Jesus was bold to me. You know what I'm saying? He spoke on what needed to be said, um, regardless, even if it led to his death, which it eventually did. Um, so I believe that that's what we're called to do as well. All right, so I'm just hearing about you late. Others have heard about you for more than a decade. I, I guess I'm, I'm old and I'm behind the times, but a decade ago, you put out a song explaining to do that was directed at Jay-Z and is one of the most powerful rap songs I've ever heard. I ended up, when I finally heard it a month ago, because I started doing a whole bunch of homework, and I was like, I started sending it to everybody, like, dang, this dude went yeah. at Jay-Z yeah. hard. <laughs> and I know you got a lot of attention. Daddy's still here. <laughs> at that time. <laughs> but how much blowback did you, how much blowback did you receive from the music industry for making that song. Tell the truth. No, nah, I mean, I, I got, well, I got a lot of, it was really a lot of fans and stuff for these people who was, uh, who was coming at me. Um, and you know, even, you know, that song, I was, I was real raw, real rough around the edges. So I'm saying the N word a bunch of times. Like I was handling it the way I knew how to handle it, uh, handle it in hip hop. You feel me? We, we come from hip hop is aggressive. Uh, we battle, we do all of this stuff. So I'm like, well, shoot, I'm going to give it to you in a way that you receive it or, or in a way that the streets receive it. But, um, yeah, it, it was a lot of, a lot of people assuming my motives, um, both from the world and the church, you know, people assume that I just wanted attention. They assumed that I was hating. They assumed all of those things. And that's one of the worst things is being and feeling misunderstood, you know what I'm saying? Which I get it because a lot of people do cloud chase, but I'm like, that's them. I'm, I'm like an introvert. I never want the attention. The attention is like a consequence to me, you know what I'm saying?
So with that song, you described, brought up many satanic symbols that are in Jay-Z's music, in his videos. Beyonce's. How much satanic messaging is there in commercial rap music? So, I mean, at this point, I believe it's become a lot more obvious, which is where I was afraid it was going. That's where I saw it going. So now you can see Lil Nas X slide down the triple pole in the hell. Because all of this stuff is received openly now and welcomed because people weren't saying anything where they was just drop putting drips of it in the water. You know what I'm saying? And if a seed don't go check, then you got to deal with the tree later. And I feel like now, you know, uh, we're dealing with the trees and it's becoming okay to be blasphemous um, and do and do those types of things. Um, and uh, unfortunately, I, I saw it going here. But the problem is this. We feel like it gets satanic when people start throwing these symbols and gestures and all that up. The messaging is where it begins, Right. The messaging, how can something mm-hmm. glorify murder, sex, drugs, all of this different stuff, and we don't call it satanic until they show us devil horns or something. Like, the principles would be satanic. And even on that explaining to do, um, I addressed that, the shirt that Jay had on, it said, do without will, right? That's a satanic quote. Well, that pretty much means do what you want to do. That's Satanism at its core. Do what you want to do, right? And that's what we're seeing. Everybody doing, everybody's fulfilling their own desires and everything revolves around what a person feels and whatever they want to do. I, I just sit here and think about Little Nas X and his latest video where he goes to hell and gives the devil a lap dance. And I wonder if you believe, should we blame the artists who are taking the check and getting the gold chains and all the money, or should we blame the executives who are handing them the checks and who are enticing and baiting them to make this type of music? Or are they equally responsible? Um, I think... I don't know if they're equally responsible, but they're definitely both responsible um, to a degree. And unfortunately, you know, when you when you come up in a certain circumstance, which a lot of times is poverty and you want a way out. That's where you're willing to take, you know, take whatever way that is to get it. And, you know, that's happened to me in the past. That's why when you see this, the brand is God over money. Because of a time when I put money over God. And guess what? When when I went the furthest is when I was the brokest. That's when you can get me to go against my morals. That's when you can get me to do things I never thought I would do because I was lower than I ever thought I would be. So, you know, while we understand why an artist might do it, we still have to, everybody's held accountable. Everybody's held accountable for their actions and decision making, right? So if we, we can say, you know, the government put drugs in our neighborhoods, bet. They brought guns to our neighborhoods, bet. I'm with you on that. Now, when you shoot me, do I get, am I supposed to get mad at the government or you, know, you just get off for pulling the trigger? 
because you didn't have to do that. The government didn't make you do that. You know what I'm saying? So that's why I say that there's accountability on both ends. Your testimony, your personal testimony is amazing. Uh, you, you've talked about, and it's in your music, that at one point you were trying to sell drugs. At one point you were trying to make it as a pimp. Uh, what caused you to change and, and tell us, share your testimony with our audience? Okay, so I always believe, I always had a belief in God, but I didn't walk according to what I claim to believe, right? So at this point in my life, I was just trying to get to the, I was trying to get to the money, right? I'm sleeping on people's floors, living out of my car, and my I wasn't selling anything or doing anything at the time, but my label, like my squad, that's what funded it. What, what funded the music was prostitution, drugs, stuff like that. Allegedly, right? <laughs> I don't know. But um, eventually, when you're around it so long and then you hit hard times, you're like, yo, shoot me some of them pills. Let me sell that. Um, shoot me some weed. Let me sell that. Let me try to get up like y'all. And eventually, the last straw for me was the prostitution thing, right? Because I was raised by my mother and my grandmother, and I always had a high respect for, for women. You know what I'm saying? So that's something I never would have thought I would do. And that's why I understand when you when you are put in the position to do something against your own moral code and you fall to that, like, I, I get it. But for me, that was the last straw. I found myself... Um, Running around, can I? I'm, I'm gonna try to make this short. So the the last part where where I finally gave it up, right? I'm running around getting this money with this prostitution stuff. The money's coming quicker than I ever seen it come. Um, and one day uh, I'm with the young lady, and she's like, "Yo, can you take me to go pick up my brother from practice?" I'm thinking he plays sports or something. I'm like, "Yeah, okay, let's go." We pull up at a church. Now, mind you. Before this, I started getting into Bible study. I started going to the church a couple times a week. I was working, and then that money came, and I was out of there, right? I didn't put God over money. I started bouncing around. So now I'm back at this church, and I go inside, and I'm like, oh, her brother's drumming for the church. That's the practice. And I come to find out, like, this is her family's church. Her dad's the pastor. And it rocked me because I had— I had left the church to go chase this money. Now I'm back in the church, but I feel like I'm sitting in the church in opposition to God. Now. Like, I felt like the devil sitting in there knowing that I'm prostituting the pastor's daughter. Like, even saying that right now is crazy, right? And it really just showed me how far I had gotten from God while still feeling like I was a good person because we can justify anything. So in my mind... I'm like, yo, we about to get this money, and then I'm going to take her out the game, and I get to be the hero, and all that, man. And I just didn't see. I had I gotten so far from God and thought I was still right there. So it just broke me, man, and I, and I just I fell on my knees and gave it up. I said, I make a terrible God. The decisions I'm making in my life got me to where I am, and I've never tried to follow you. Like, I've, I've tried the pills. I tried the weed. I tried everything but you. Let me go ahead and, you know, quit playing, man, and, and, and see what you have for me.
And as soon as you made that pivot, God started opening doors for you. I read a story or I listened to your testimony and you talked about Boy Wonder, who had worked with Eminem and won Grammy Awards, reached out, recognized your skill because I'm just telling you, Jim and, and the audience, the guy is one of the most talented rappers going. Gospel, commercial, what, trap, whatever. Bizzle's Praise one of the, and so, and people recognize that. People recognize that and immediately reached out and started offering you help for free. And so I, I'm just wondering, the boy wonder guy, how many guys have you met in the industry, the music industry, that are off in that commercial rap lane doing music that they know is immoral, but secretly want to support you or want to support you and what you're doing and, and kind of just know they're doing the wrong thing. Is that pervasive throughout the industry in your view? I don't know if, it, if it's pervasive, but it, it definitely it definitely happens, right? Um, just like at a nine to five, you have people who might be against something that the company they work for is doing, but they got to do what they, they got to do for the check. You know, um, I believe we have that in, in the music industry as well. And some people, because of their contracts or because of, you know, certain things, they can't turn around and all of a sudden try to go gospel, right? Um, I was just reading something the other day about Music Soul Child uh, and the, the song Love that we all know and love is like that, that originally the lyrics were saying Lord and then the, the label made them change it to love because they didn't want them to have a gospel song on the, on the record. So that type of stuff is real. Um, and so I just encourage, you know, any artist to, I, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta pick a side, man. And, and I, I get it. It's hard. You know what I'm saying? For me, I, I might not have had as much to lose as some of these, these other artists, you know what I'm saying? But at the end of the day, once the, the Lord start allowing me to see other people's children as valuable as my own children, you know what I'm saying? It's like I couldn't say certain things now. And and, and usually, unfortunately, when an artist gets older, then they start to make that change when they don't have a, a hold on the youth anymore. You know what I'm saying? But it, it, it's definitely people in the industry who, if they had the opportunity to would do a little something different. Bizzle, give me your take on Kanye West. Uh, I, I'm a fan and I, I see the guy struggling with his faith like a lot of us do, but I, I see him moving in a positive direction. What's your take? So, you know, I, I went at Kanye a while ago, right? He was, he was on the hit list at 1.2. Because because of some of the like he was on that blast for me as well, right? So and I and I preface it with this because I I rock with him now, right? As a believer, one who went at him on wax and all that, like I see the repentance. You know what I'm saying? Only God only God knows the heart of a man, but I see him I see his his music shows it, his interview his interviews show it, you know what I'm saying? Like and I've always felt like he was bold. Even when he was on the other side, I felt like he was bolder than some of the more gangster rappers. You know what I'm saying? He's still the dude who ran up on stage 
<laughs> and then snatched the mic. You know what I'm saying? He's still the dude who, who, who said, you know, George Bush doesn't like black people. Like, regardless of what you feel about that stuff, that's the type of stuff that said that takes courage and takes a boldness that you might not even see from some of the gangsters sometimes. And even though Kanye has never been that way. So I always saw that boldness and it's dope to have it on this side. Um, so I'm, I'm still watching, but I rock with it. I've been to one of the Sunday services because I didn't want to speak on it from the outside without really, you know, getting to experience it. And even from, you know, some inside sources, man, uh, folks say that, that he's legit. So whatever other troubles, whether he's going through it, struggling or in it, we all struggle. All of us struggle. The difference is that sometimes his is, is out there for everybody to see. But the truth is, everybody every everybody would would probably look the same if the microscope was on them the same way. So I, I just want to encourage them to keep pushing and, and, and doing it, man. And, and even if you get them stoned by the church, you know what I'm saying? Because I got the, I got it the same way <laughs> when I came in. Um, keep going because there's a lot of people that rock with him, honestly. Final question, Bizzle. How can we support you, God over money, and, and the work and the music that you're making? Oh, man, just uh, continue to stream the music. Honestly, it's, you know, we're going against the grain because of the type of music that we're making. Um, you know, just talking for Christian rappers in general, you know, we're being told that, you know, we can't spin your music because people might be offended at Jesus and all that. Even though I'm like, yo, you can spend, you can spend murder, sex, drug, like nobody's offended at that, but Jesus is going to offend people. So we, we are going against the grain in this industry. Um, I remember I, I put out a song called Royalty, where I'm telling, you know, it's talking to, to young girls like, yo, you know, you a queen, you're royalty. You don't have to show your body, all of that. And, and, you know, the industry was like, yo, you're slut shaming. And, and so they're going to push you to twerk videos and all that. But the things that, that, that speak in any type of positive manner, um, especially when it comes to God, they're blocking a lot of it. So I want to tell y'all to just be intentional about supporting the music out here that, that coincides more with what you believe, because a lot of us, when we was bumping all the music about killing, we wasn't killers and we wasn't rocking with that like that. And we didn't like to see our family members strung out on crack, but we celebrating it on music and all that. Like, but it's a lot of people sacrificing a lot of money, a lot of bags that we're turning down to continue to give you music that you can listen to with your children in the car. So um, even if it starts with God over money. Please support the, the movement. It's, it's six of us on the label, not just me. Um, and yeah, just, just show that people are hungry for it, that people want it. Thank you, Bizzle. Yes. Love, everybody. All right. Hit that, hit that YouTube.com slash fearless with Jason Whitlock. Jimmy and I are going to do a little flipping of the bird, I think. You want me to do what? We're going to flip the bird. Oh, okay. Man, don't get, you know, it's a Twitter right. thing. It's not, it's not with the finger. We're not okay. going to do anything All profane. All right. Click it, bro. We just I'm had Bizzle on. I'm old school. We're not doing anything profane. <laughs>
Welcome back to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. And Uncle Jimmy. And, and Uncle Jimmy. And Uncle Jimmy. I don't think I want to add that part. I'm going to say, but at some point or another, my, my agent going to get in touch with you about that. So you want to flip the bird. I got a good you one. flipping the bird. I got a good one. I, I, I need your opinion on this one. Yeah. Okay, um, this one here. Let, 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 let's talk about our good friend, uh, Megan Kelly. Okay. Well, I like Megan Kelly. Okay, let, 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 let's see. She's got a little, she, she has a tweet. And I'm just going to read this tweet to you, Okay. It says, poor Naomi Asiaki. Says she blocked me. Osaka. Yeah, that's who I said. She says, she blocked blocked me while taking a shot at me. I guess that she's only tough on the courts. She's apparently arguing that she shot her many covers before publicly claiming that she was too socially anxious to deal with the press. Truth is, she just doesn't like questions she can't control admit it and as you can see uh naomi has blocked megan Mm. uh so i guess what's your opinion of that man it's tough man it it's it's i i I, look I'm, i'm i'm somewhat of a chauvinist pig i think everybody knows that I mean, and that's, so, that's good for you to just call yourself a pig. Like and that. so, honest to goodness, the, the chauvinist pig in me is like, I think of Naomi Osaka is like a 22-year-old child or whatever, however old she is. And so I, I just, I wouldn't battle with her over social media. You know, Megan's a grown woman, you know, plenty of life experience. And so... Over social media, I'm not sure. Now, and again, this is where the chauvinist pig in me. If it were a male athlete, I might smack back, say anything. But again, now, and again, Megan's a woman. She's arguing with a woman. And so maybe that it just, it's different for her. This is like a mother scolding her child. Uh, but I, I just, I'm just being real. When I think of, like that kind of battling or pushing back or scolding, uh, I, I just wouldn't do it to a woman that age. I, I just wouldn't do it. Me, I'm not talking about Megan, I'm talking about me, I wouldn't. So that, that's how it comes across to me initially. I just wouldn't do it. Are you really just sitting there with a straight face saying this? Yes. Didn't you just beat up that little boy, that, that, that baseball player's son on social media? <laughs> Didn't you just beat that boy up for saying something about you on social media? First of all, he's like 26, 27 years old. He got- I, you had to get that boy something to wear to an interview, so he ain't that damn old. Go ahead. <laughs> Come on. Didn't you beat the brakes off of him on social media? Yeah. Again, and that, I, What's his I, name? Did I, did I did not tell you I was a chauvinist. Did I not tell you I got two different standards? That boy wanted to stand up. He wanted to smoke, and he got it. I don't think Naomi Osaka, did she come? She wanted to smoke and Megan gave it to her. Come on, man. It can't be having right is right, wrong is wrong, and it ain't no in the middle. She wanted that smoke and Megan smoked her like she was a blunt being passed around in the jailhouse. <laughs> I'm just I'm not being critical of Megan. She's, Megan certainly isn't a man, and so she's got 
a difference. You don't have to be a man to smack the hell out of somebody. Megan Kelly skull dragged this little girl in front of the public. And I, I, I kind of enjoyed it. It's kind of like seeing a little kid in the store. Man, I was in the store the other day, man. The little kid just, ah, ah, ah. And then it do something to me because I, I have flashbacks to when I was a child because it would be no way in hell I could get away with that. And man, I just looked at the woman. Now, sudden, I just retook my belt off. I'm like, here. <laughs> here. Beat the hell out of this child before I do. I hope that's not what happened. I hope that's an exaggerated story. I don't want to hear about you getting arrested here in Nashville. I didn't. I just. I just offered her the 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 the, the instrument for instruction. Gotcha. Hey, we're gonna have Megan Kelly on the show on Thursday, so I, I want to before I say something that irritates Megan. I, we should move on. Yeah, by all means. I like Megan Kelly. I like Megan Kelly. Megan Kelly is a stand-up. I feel a little sympathetic for Naomi Osaka. She took the pictures a year ago. But she got mental stress. Do you really want to be half-naked on the Sports Illustrated cover? Isn't that creating some anxiety? Look here, man. Let me tell you something. I'm going to be honest with you. Yeah. I, I know I'm going to get in trouble for this. Uh-oh. You can look at her and tell she got some things going on. She ain't done it yet, but you can look at Naomi Nakiakisaki and tell that she going to bust the windshield sooner or later. She going to key somebody's car. <laughs> You can look at her and tell some some man is going to upset her and their insurance rates is going to go up. <laughs> Uncle Jimmy know that look? Yeah, you do know that look. Let's move on <laughs> to our approval for uh, Megan the Stallion, the uncastrated male horse. I, I just don't get the nickname Stallion, the Stallion. That's an uncastrated male horse. Why would you call why would a woman call herself the Stallion? I don't get it. She likes to be rode. (laughs) (laughs) Lord have mercy. This show has gone off the rails. All right, job performance for Megan the Stallion. I'm going to give her a 20, you know, and I know we had Bizzle on and we talked. Megan's one of these pornographic rappers, and I get, you know, that's her job to make pornographical music, and she does a good job at it. Um, I think I give Megan a 25 for her job performance. You really like that pornograph. You like the music her and Cardi B put out, huh? I I give Megan uh, twenty five for a job performance. You all right? Character. I'm gonna give her a one. I think she has no character at all. She'll do anything for money. Uh, so I give her on a scale of one to twenty five. I'm giving her a one for character. Uh. I will give Megan a 25 for character. She stands on what she believes. And you, whether you like her or whether you don't like her, she's not afraid to tell you how she feels. Come on. Come on, let's keep going. Authenticity. I do think she's authentic. I think, you know, she's a hoe and plays that role to the highest level. I think she's very authentic about that. I'll give her a 23. Dang. Uh... I don't know who what, who you are talking about. I don't know what the hell you talking about. Yeah. I'm going to give her a 25. In, be, in authenticity. In authenticity. Yeah. She gets a 25 for me. You like the, you think this, she's totally on brand, is doing what's authentic to her. Yes. Yeah. Yes. She's doing it. Making that money. Yeah. Come on, man. That's authentic to her. It factor. I can't knock her. She looked pretty good on the cover of Sports Illustrated. She definitely has an it factor. 
Uh, I'll give her a 19 in it factor. Um, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give Megan the Stallion Kelly, uh, I'm going to give her a 25. Megan the Stallion, what does Megan Kelly have to do with Megan the Stallion, not Megan. We're not yes. talking about Megan Kelly. No, Megan Kelly you, has you, to do see, you, you remember we was on the Megan Kelly show? Yeah. Okay, remember that conversation that, that we had? Oh, yeah. Okay, I mean, all right, dude. The top rider. Well, I, damn it. I, 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 damn it if, if that don't make you a stallion, I don't know what the hell does. <laughs> I'm going to tell you in the words of John Wayne. Well, yippee yo yay yay then, Pilgrim. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. And that's all for us. We'll see Some you say it's an art. Some say it's a shame. I want-